You're listening to the Horsefest podcast with the founders of Horsefest. I'm Thea. And hello, this is Heidi. Each podcast is dedicated to you and your passion for everything horse. We'll be speaking to elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests, all focused on bringing you inspiration, insights and learning in a way that our horse tribe will enjoy. So today we are very excited to be joined by British Olympic event rider and eventing legend Mary King. Mary, welcome to the Horse Tribe podcast. Uh, Hello there, everybody. Uh, It's lovely to speak to you. And we are very excited because you've been at Blenheim today supporting and helping Emily, who's doing brilliantly. So how has it been going there? Yes, yeah, I just drove up early this morning from Devon. Um, Obviously, Emily, she lives the other way. She's up north of Chester I'm living up there now with her boyfriend Sam and um yeah so she came down for the trot up yesterday I traveled up this morning um to be there for her warm-up for the dressage not that I say much as a mother um, <laughs> very much sort of, um stand on the sidelines but I'm there for you know if she sort of looks at me after doing something I know she wants me to comment whether you know there's enough angle in her children or you know if her halt square or if her flying change was clean you know it's sort of thing she's very you know works away herself but just likes me there as a bit of a backup and um no I mean dear Valmy Beats he's a lovely horse but the dressage hasn't been easy for him that's a little bit why how Emily got the ride on him he was um bred and ridden out in France and they were struggling with his dressage and yeah Emily sort of was asked if she would take him on and no it's lovely to um see her having progressed so well and she's lying third at the minute um but there's still more um they're about halfway through the tests now so Mm. yeah so fingers crossed that she stays up there in the top 10 and then he's an amazing jumping horse oh brilliant um, Wow. She had, how long she had the ride then? Um, she got some, yeah, about a year and a half ago. It was just when lockdown sort of was happening. So she um, had him for a while before she started competing him last autumn. Um, and, you know, has, he's progressed quickly from there. So, um, no, it's been very exciting. And he's, a, I mean, to me, he's a real five-star horse. Mm. So brave and bold and straight across country. Um, fingers crossed I'm not um, <laughs> wrong on Saturday oh that but, must be so exciting yes yeah and a different horse for Emily her you know other two she's had at the top level have been Brookley and Dargan and they were quite sort of quiet horses to ride across country once she had to sort of you know think a bit for them and always be riding them forward to fences whereas Valmy Biatz, he's a brave tiger, you know. <laughs> she, she has to more sit quietly and, and you know, steady him and, you know, and that sort of thing. So it's a, you know, it's all learning for Emily as well, you know. So, yeah, yeah how, very exciting. How, how wonderful. And you've, have you walked the cross-country course? What's it like? What would your yes. review be? Yeah, um, and it, to be honest, it's very similar to how it's been the last couple of times. There's not a lot of change. I would say... I mean, you never dare like to say that it's a bit softer than it usually is, a little bit more straightforward. Um, but I think it is. The The water is much easier than it has been other years. Um, that's always can be quite a bogey fence at Blenheim, jumping into that sort of big lake and then having the lake crossing. But um, it's, it's quite straightforward to jump into the water. 
Um, there's a tricky coffin that's always there every year and always catches out a number of horses, and that's there again this year. But no, a lot of sort of big, like big tables and then curving line to a corner. That seems to be a asked, that question is asked a number of times around the course. Um, but yes, the ground's perfect, really good going. Mm. And they're busy watering and spiking as well, but it feels very good. So yeah, no, hopefully. It'll, and the time's always quite hard to get at Blenheim. Um, although there are a lot of galloping places, you know, it can tire horses out. So, um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> oh, exciting. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on it as well. Brilliant. Oh, Fantastic. So, so going from today uh, and tomorrow's cross country, we, we'd like to step back in time, if we may. And we ask all of our guests to, to talk to us about their, how their passion for horses started. And, yeah, really interested to hear for yourself, from yourself, Mary. Where, where did it all begin? Uh, well, um, I don't know why I was mad on horses and ponies when I was little, because neither of my parents were at all horsey, had no horsey connections on either side. I had one great aunt who used to hunt, and that's about the only person I found um, who had some connection with horses. But um, yeah, I grew up in a little village um, called Sulcombe Regis, where I still live now in Devon, and the vicar had a pony, and that was really the start of it all you know I sort of adored, <laughs> you know sitting in the on the gates of this pony's field staring at it and patting it and then you know it just went from there I just always had an absolute fascination for them but goodness knows why um, <laughs> but yeah yeah um, but you know and then I didn't grow out of it you know lots of girls love ponies and want to ride and when they get old enough and start looking at boys they sort of grow out of, <laughs> grow out of the four-legged creatures but I never did you know I've always just all I want ever wanted to do was to ride and you know once I knew what eventing was about you know it was a three-day eventing was my dream yeah oh, amazing to re realize those dreams as well yeah and, and who was the first pony and how, um, how old were you with your when, Yes, I always desperately wanted my own <laughs> pony, but, you know, mum and dad were saying, well, we don't know anything about them. And we lived in a little um, cottage that had no land that was owned by the church. My father was verger of the village church and we didn't have much money as a family. My father had been invalided, invalided out of the Royal Navy with a bad head injury. He got well enough. We, as me as a baby, and my brother was three, and mum and dad, when dad came out of hospital and was well enough, that's when we moved to the village of Sulcombe Regis, and daddy did the verger's job in exchange for this rent-free, um, this yeah, rent-free cottage. So, you know, anyway, didn't have sort of land and that sort of thing. So they were very, you know, said, well, you know, we don't know anything about ponies. We've got no land and not very much money. Um, but I used to go and beg, steal and borrow any ponies in the area as I was sort of growing up. And used to manage to get join the local pony club and got some rides through the pony club. And then it was when I was... 13 um mum and dad gave in and <laughs> the, 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 the vicar said I could use the stable and the local farmer who used to help at haymaking time he said I could use a field of his and 
yes so eventually when I was 13 I got my own pony so so exciting oh that's, that's amazing that's it kind of sounds like my horsey journey but without any Olympic medals <laughs> I, I was like you neither of my parents were horsey either and I used to someday some nights I dream about this pony that I'd got and I'd wake up and I'd be so sad that it wasn't true oh. uh, I know mine gave in around a similar age as well I think I was about 12 and I'd written so many lists and books and letters to them about how I was going to look after it and everything that they just couldn't say no anymore, I think. Oh, <laughs> oh fantastic. That's brilliant. That's great yeah. to hear. And, and your eventing career now. So let's move on from, from those first pony days. So you, you started your eventing career with Sheila Wilcox, um, who sadly passed away in 2017. That's right. Um, yeah. And you've written that your time with Sheila and I'm quoting, toughened me up in a way which has stood me in good stead ever since. So tell us more about that and the impact your time there had on your career. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. It was um, such a good thing I did was to, you know, well, uh, to go and work for Sheila Wilcox for three years. And, you know, I was, I'd just done my O-levels at school and I had no intentions of staying on for (laughs) A-levels. And, um, in the end, I, I was quite, you know, reasonably brainy at school and the teachers thought I was mad wanting to work with horses. But anyway, got offered this job with at Sheila's and, you know, it was just such a huge learning curve. She was an absolute perfectionist. The yard was kept to a very high standard of cleanliness and tidiness and the horses were always beautifully turned out with not a you know sort of hair out of place and anyway so it was very very good training and rode many horses while I was there and a lot of naughty young horses she used to buy from the sales so often um, these beautiful big you know well good moving horses were at the sales because they had behavior problems but mm-hmm. that didn't deter her you know she you know, I should bring the horses back and I'd put on my skull cap, my back brace and given a leg up and we'd sort of see what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it did. It, it was huge learning curve for me, you know, work, you know, trying, uh, you know, thinking, well, why is this horse rearing or napping or, you know, and because the horse doesn't really understand the rider and doesn't trust them to do what the rider's wanting so it was then you know winning that horse around teaching them the difference between right and wrong and and getting them to use all that energy rather than against you to be with you you know work with you and and you know and I used to be scared stiff of Sheila because she was very (laughs) tough strong lady you know and I I was a little uh, quiet sort of a teenager and you know just did as I was told didn't hardly dare speak to her and and she used to say to me she said don't you dare fall off and I tell you what (laughs) I was more frightened of Sheila than I was of the horse that might be bucking and rearing and spinning around or something that you know it was good because it made me stick on and sort the problem out whereas you know how easy it is to get a bit scared if a horse is being very um awkward you know and then get a bit yeah. used and just sort of fall off because it's maybe, maybe the easiest option but <laughs> that wasn't the easiest option and that you know in those times that you know I, so it was good it made me brave and and learn to you know sort of get this horse going nicely so yeah no good good learning times yeah <laughs> and, and you I'm sure you'll have adapted it to your own style, but what have you taken and used today as you produce your own horses? 
yes, well, really being, um, you know, just clear to the young horses from the start, you know, what you're wanting of them, be very clear what's right rewarding them when when they do things correctly um if say you're schooling them and they do a good transition and good you know reward them with your voice and the, or a pass or if they lift their head up as they go into trots don't just ignore it and think oh well next time i go into trot i'll make sure they stay round and in an outline well that's no good for a horse they don't know if one minute they're allowed to trot on lifting their head up and then the next minute they're made to keep them keeping an outline it's baffling for them you know they don't understand so it's you know being strict with yourself that's what I learned from Sheila's being a strict with yourself to not be lazy when you're training horses and just make it clear that yes that's right and no if they do it incorrectly just repeat the same question repeat the transition again if that's what it is and, and only allow them to continue when they do you know, could trot on correctly in an outline and then pat them and let them keep trotting and not be lazy and ignore little things because they'll just escalate. And, you know, I think that's really important right through a horse's career and that's how they then understand and learn to trust you and work with you. Yeah, <laughs> that level of consistency. Yes. And so if we um we're going to save talking to you about your your career highlights to the webinar which we'll we'll touch on later in the podcast but i mean we we have to say your career highlights are numerous and you've represented uh, great britain at six olympic games as well as of course many world and european championships and you've been in the world number one position for eventing so they are numerous and we will as we say um talk more about those um, at the webinar that you will be doing um, in a few weeks time but we'd yeah. like to to talk about the, the now what goals are you working towards now and what horses are you are you working with at the moment yes I've um, taken the decision to sort of back down from top level compete um, it really it just you know I did wonder all through my career because you know I sort of loved it and loved competing at the top level and thought gosh I wonder when I'm going to lose the love mm. of doing it and to be honest I still haven't lost the love of wanting to do it but you know just after the London Olympics um, my horse I rode there Imperial Cavalier he was coming to the end of his career anyway so he um, retired the following year after London and also King's Temptress who was my homebred mare who was amazing through her career and I won Kentucky a five-star in America and and she, anyway she was a wonderful she also retired a couple of years after London so I was then left more with my young homebred horses and you know I really I love doing the young horses and um, it just was a natural progression because I didn't have a top horse and rather than you know be sort of trying to look for another one or trying to find owners to buy me another one you know I'm very happy producing their young homebred horses and competing at the low level and I seem to have just got into that um you know way of how I run my yard now I and also the other blissful thing for me now is I don't employ anybody oh, wow. I, just, yeah. I just do the horses myself and it's something I've you know just 
always loved doing the horses myself but when you're busy and got lots you need to have you know people working for you and you know I've had some wonderful girls and staff over the years you've been very very fortunate but you know I just still I just love it on my own as a child I never wanted to go riding with my friends when I had my own pony I was wanting (laughs) to go on my own I didn't want to go it was funny I've always been quite a sort of loner with my horses me and me and my horse and then I can do what I want but I want to go schooling or jumping or galloping you know so anyway so I'm in my element now trucking along with these young homebred horses producing them up to a certain level and then and then sold dear King Cyrus who is a homebred and he's um, got very established novice levels such a lovely horse and he's just been sold which is sad but it's money and I can now go off shopping I'm going to go off to Ireland looking for young horses Ah, lovely buy a couple of young ones and yeah so you know it's just making making a business of it um you know making money but um yeah still enjoying the horses here and how many do you have at home well um I have got um altogether one two three four five six horses so I've got some young store horses um that are homebred ones and then I've got um, the three um, that I'm competing. So that's um, two six-year-olds, which are at novice level. They're getting pretty established now at that level, soon ready to go on up to intermediate. Yeah. And then a lovely five-year-old as well, who's pretty smart. So um, I do the three and I can do them myself, you know, doing three horses. And then I have um, Annie, a girl called Annie Corbin, who was my head girl for 11 years all through oh, wow. King Gosh. William and Star Appeal those days she was my head girl and we we're very good friends and she keeps a horse well two horses at livery at my yard one um, pony for her to ride and her daughter is a uh, um, getting all keen she's got a young horse so Brilliant. they keep them at livery and in exchange help me at competitions because obviously if I'm going off competing I do need help for somebody to come with me and help at the events um, so yeah so oh, no, that sounds all, perfect it's all just lovely yeah, yeah. very lucky <laughs> fantastic so let's move on to your next big challenge, which isn't a horsey one this time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we've heard that you're going to run the London Marathon, which is phenomenal. And also, which is incredible, is you're raising money for the absolutely amazing Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital. So on the 3rd of October, you will be pounding the streets of London. Wow. How did this come about and how is the training going? <laughs> yes, I think I'm mad, but um, <laughs> I've always been somebody, I suppose, you know, well, who, who's always had an aim and something I want to achieve. And I suppose through my venting career. You know, riding at the top level and being so lucky to Olympics and World Games and all those sort of big events and I suppose not having that now you know I've sort of you know just set myself other tasks of things to do and um, one was my first thing I did was I've sailed um, I love sailing but never had time to do you know more sailing sort of thing but I sailed across my first ocean sail um, three years ago across the Atlantic with a friend who's delivering wanting their boat across there so I went as cook and crew (laughs) loved loved it and then thought right now I want to race an ocean because I'd never raced and so I joined up with the around the world race and raced across the southern ocean which is the most difficult ocean to race across because you have 
Uh, that's from Cape Town, so South Africa to Australia. Wow. And um, it was 24 days of full-on racing through the roaring 40s, which are huge seas and winds. And it was amazing. I, you know, it was oh. fascinating. You hot bunk with your opposite crew member and you're, you're four hours on, four hours off, you know, four hours to sleep, four hours on deck. And anyway, 24 days. So that was a great achievement, getting to Australia and having done our ocean race. So that That's was incredible. amazing. So yeah. after that, I thought, now what can I do? And I thought, I know what, I'll do a marathon. I've <laughs> done one before. And um, so, yeah, that was the, the next thing. So I can um, sort of tick that off my list once I've done it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and how's the training going? Yeah, is it, is yes. it going well? Yeah, good. I started, I gave myself six months because I'm not a runner. I, at school, I was good at sprinting, but I was never very good at long distance running. But so it was quite hard at the start. I started April the 1st and yeah, I couldn't even run up the road to the camp. We've got a campsite just up the road. I thought, this is ridiculous. I can't even <laughs> run up here. Um, but it's, you know, I made myself run every third day I've run since April the 1st. And it's, it was hard, very hard to begin with, but it's got easier and easier. And no, and it's it's quite yeah satisfying. Now I can run, and you just run and run, and you get yeah, no, it's fine. Really? So, um, but saying that, I haven't run twenty six miles like I'm going to have to in, in two <laughs> two and a half weeks time. So oh, good lord! Have you, have you got a target? <laughs> um, not really. No, I I don't. You know, I'm not going to be able to run fast. I just want to run from the start yeah. to the finish I want to Brilliant. be able to feel I've run 26 miles so um yeah so anyway so yeah it's exciting Fabulous. yeah and there are so many wonderful charities what drew you to Great Ormond Street for for this fundraising <laughs> well I needed to sort of get a place obviously in the marathon it's hard to to get a place and so you know I thought well I want to run I'll run for a charity and I looked up to see what charities had places um you know places to offer and I just you know I've always loved to support children's charities and you know I do a lot of horse charities as well but I thought you know this time I'm going to run for um for children and yeah I did my sailing ocean race for UNICEF and um then I thought actually you know I looked through and they're great almond street had places left in their gosh um, running team and so I applied to them so yeah yeah and I mean I love children and I always would have loved to have lots of children but horses I couldn't have too many wouldn't be able to to go on eventing my mother my mother was the same she was a very children's person well my brother and I were growing up. They, my mum fostered thirty-six children. Mum oh, and dad wow. fostered what an amazing lady. over wow. the years, and we only had a little Virgus cottage. But we always seemed to have an extra child. Seemed to be about, you know, uh, in foster care for you know a few months till they found that child's a, a, you know, adoption home. So, mm. yes, yeah, so I suppose I've had been around having children around all the time. <laughs> yeah, what a fabulous Aww. experience growing up as well, meeting all those other. Sharing your space and meeting all those other children. Yes, I know. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And we're really delighted that we're going to be able to help you with your fundraising goal for Great Ormond Street. Um, Yes. You're going to be joining. Yeah. 
So you, you're going to be joining us for a fundraising evening online. So we call it an evening with Mary King. That's, that's what it says on the tin. Um, <laughs> on, the, uh, on the 7th of October at 7.30. So it'll be four days after your marathon. Exactly. Um, hopefully we'll, you'll manage to, to stagger to the, <laughs> to the computer. In a comfy chair. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, fingers crossed. Um, and all of the profits are going to be going to uh, Great Ormond Street Hospital. So um, what hints can you give us about the evening to encourage people to sign up and come and hear some more? <laughs> well, um, yeah, do do come and join me for the evening. Um, I'm very much open to um, questions, which I'll be happy to answer. So if you have any sort of burning questions about either my career or about problems with your own horses or ponies, you know, do feel free to um, put your questions forward and I'll do my best to answer them well. And yes, I'll just give you a, a brief um, insight into my life um how i've got to you know uh, to do what i've been so lucky to have done over the years and what i'm up to now um yes and you know sh i'll share some of my exciting times with you so do do join me on the 7th of october brilliant oh, well we excellent. can't wait for yeah there's two, two of us who are very excited already yeah <laughs> i think we'll we'll have a, a glass of wine and and be very much enjoying you being a raconteur that night as well so uh yeah really look forward to it and we're also really excited that you're going to be you and emily actually going to be joining us at horse fest next summer it was supposed to be this summer but sadly it's it's pushed on to next year um, and we know that your demos and talks are going to be really relatable with lots of top tips for our horse tribe leisure riding audience. So yeah. just wondering, is there a tip that you could share today um, for our audience to take away? So something that would you know, just just be helpful to them in terms of how they what they do with their horses or how they ride and so on. Yes. Um, oh, gosh, there's so many different things I could talk to you about for, for hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, to be honest, what I touched on, you know, just really to repeat what I touched on earlier about, you know, training, whatever, you know, shaped horse or pony you've got or however, you know, tall or small it is or fat or thin or whatever, you know, they need to understand you as a rider um, for them to progress and be happy in life and so to be very clear when you're doing things with your horses be um, you know they must enjoy themselves they must uh, you know their obviously management is imperative for them to be happy nothing like keeping them out in the field as much as possible I think that's actually I ought to say that's you know one of my top tips is turn your horses and ponies out it's so people are so tempted to feel they're looking after their horses well if they keep them in a stable horses and ponies are much happier out in the field especially if they've got the company um so you know i keep mine out i mean they're out all the time my event horses and you know and and even you know when i'm in my heyday like the london the london olympics imperial cavalier was out in the field the night before i loaded him up in the lorry and drove up to london so, you know, it just helps oh. them to keep calm and settled. And it's, you know, what they're bred, they're bred to be head down grazing the green stuff. And um, that's how they stay most fit and healthy. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much so. And then mine, mine are inordinately happy out together. I've got a 16-3 Irish sports horse and a two-year-old gypsy cob pony. And they just love chasing around the field together and having their heads down. So, yeah, I completely Thanks. concur. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and we also love to tap into some of the funny stories that our guests like yourself experienced along their journey. And I'm sure you, again, you've got lots that you could share. Uh, <laughs> Is there one you can tell us today? <laughs> well, I have to think way back um, to my first ever Gymkhana, which I was riding the Vickers. Um, he had a little pony, which I started to ride on. Then he had this sort of 14 hand black and white piebald cob that I then used to go to sort of pony club things I could hack to that were near enough because we didn't have any transport anyway I went to this gymkhana and I was so excited doing a gymkhana and it was my first race which is the bending race and they said ready steady go and I kicked magpie to make her go and she wouldn't go she stood there she stretched out and then she did such a long spend a penny for (laughs) everybody Everybody else went whizzing up and in out of the poles and turned around whizzing and I was still spending a penny when they all got back and I was sort of mortified that my first ever competition, you know, this sort of situation. Oh, <laughs> thank goodness time. it got better after that. Absolutely. At, least, yeah, at least I didn't win, win my first one and expected to win everything. <laughs> oh, oh. we can all relate <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely they certainly put us in our places don't they, <laughs> no, they stop us getting big-headed very exactly <laughs> i love that so thank you so much for joining us today mary um i just want to remind the listeners um one more time about how they can donate so um yep yeah so there's I've, Got a, yeah, just uh, sorry, I've got a Just Giving page. So if you go into um, the Just Giving website and in the search bar, just type in Mary King Marathon and it's just all one word, um, lowercase, so Mary King Marathon. And then it'll search and it, my page will come up and um, you can go on from there to donate. So, yeah, that would be lovely. Thank you. Any any money I've, I've actually I was hoping to raise 2000 and luckily I've gone well over that so but you know it's great the more I can the raise more the better yeah absolutely yeah and of, and of course coming along to the webinar as well on the 7th if, if you sign up for that all of the profit goes um straight to the Great Ormond Street as well and also when we do when we run the webinar at the end of the webinar we'll pop that just giving link on as well so if you want to sign up for the webinar and then you want to give some more afterwards you'll be able to do that all on the night as well so, uh, yeah, plenty of opportunities for, for giving to the charity. Let's see if we can get you to 10,000 by encouraging everybody to yeah. donate and come along. That would um, be amazing. So it's been absolutely wonderful to speak to you, Mary. Thank you so much for spending the time with, with us. And we're really looking forward to uh, the evening with you on the 7th of October and, of course, to next summer at Horsefest. So uh, uh, last thing we would both say is good luck to Emily um for the next few days and we'll speak and to you good soon. luck to you on the run oh, yes. yes oh yeah. thank you very yeah. much <laughs> yeah well i'll tell you i'll tell you all about it on the 7th can't wait thank you for listening to the horse fest podcast we'd love you to subscribe rate and review the podcast and share it with your horse tribe keep tuning in for more episodes with elite riders equestrian experts and special guests